Welcome back, my friends, to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. And we have had a lovely week in River Heights, absolutely crime-free. And that's because our... Snoopin' and pryin'. Doc hangin'. Dreamin' of a deep, dark mystery. Honey of a detective was out of town in Maryland, the Deep South. Actually, it's north, Carl. I still love their pie. Did you learn nothing from this book? I learned so many things. Um, no, I didn't learn anything. I got, it was like learning adjacent. Unlike the last book, <laughs> I feel like, which taught us so many lessons. Mm. This book just kind of allowed us to make our own judgments about women. Mildred's back and she's like, this is a woman's book. And we're right. going to talk about what women should be. This is the hear me roar of uh, <laughs> Nancy Drew books. I, I want to hear this take because my takeaway <laughs> is that children make terrible acrobats. That's what I got out of this. That is true too. We have everything from Hannah Gruen, the motherly housekeeper, who's now actually motherly. It's okay. She's got a mom figure. Yeah. And then you get to Mrs. Driscoll, not the same Driscolls that farm strawberries. Was that their name? Yeah. <laughs> None of the protective qualities of a mother. They're tools to be used. Find out right off the bat in a very flirtatious scene between Nancy and her father <laughs> that there's a key to a house. Right. He's like, I've got a mystery for you, Nancy. Oh, Dad, please don't keep me in suspense. You also find out that she's solved many mysteries for her father. It continues the proud tradition of naming two such mysteries. The most recent mystery, Password at Larkspur Lane, in which Nancy took down a kidnapping and and elder abuse racket. That's the first one it mentions. And then it's also like, and she found a clock once. <laughs> So she's she's run, she runs the gamut. They find much amusement as Carson Drew explains about Henry Winch. Henry Winchler. Henry Winch, who sells, would you believe it? Winches. Who sells, would you believe it, confectionery and fish bait. Wait. In the same shop. Confectionery and fish bait? Sounds like quite a character. A colorful character, you might say, if you were Nancy. I do, I do my best. Okay? <laughs> I do my best. Correct me if you must. Henry has sent a very vague message. Hire somebody else. I'm scared. In the world of Nancy Drew, someone is charging by the letter. Every note that is received in this book is just like sentence fragments haphazardly put together. This is a good letter. I'm going to put a key in it and I'm going to send it. I'm going to pay a stamp for this. Later on, when Henry Winch meets Nancy, he tells her it's an honor to meet a famous young detective and is just very respectful. She's known now all the way out to Maryland. So after telling his daughter all about this case and piquing her interest to its highest For what weird little amount there is to tell? Well, Nancy mm -hmm. there's a lake <laughs> and sometimes there are rentals. Rentals are pretty good but in the off season and it's just like a lot about real estate before it's like one guy is scared. Can you go check it out? Well and so she's of course raring to go. Right. That's Nancy Drew and her dad's now he's worried now he's like, I don't want you to go alone. What, if she can't find some friends who want to drop everything and go to Maryland? You've just piqued her interest for no reason, Carson Drew? Nancy's friends, I think, play a very important role in being the people who might get knocked out instead of her. Well, Carson doesn't in this one. He goes on a business trip and wishes her luck. 
She's again called a snoopy troublemaker throughout this book. The exposition scene at the end of this book. The listeners are already aware at this point. They know how it works. Brush your hand like kind of gently that direction and they're gonna get it. Three different types of exposition. Ha ha ha, this is what I did. No, this is what they did. And you have, what do you mean I didn't do my job? This is what I did. And that's this one. We got the third one. And we also got an apologizing police officer at the end. Boy, they did nothing. The police in Maryland, they're just lucky the criminals are nicer there. (laughs) Very friendly, which we'll have to get to. Carl, what a gem. When I say that we get to see this contrast between the different girls, this is the first novel I just feel like we are constantly reminded of the differences almost every page. Oh my gosh. Differences between Bess, George, Nancy, and we add in a little curveball with Cecily, who is no Laura Pendleton. (laughs) No, certainly not the pure bravery that we saw from Laura. She's an orphan. Another orphan. And she's a lot like Nancy. They're both investigators. And so there's an important difference being made of which kind of investigative technique is better, what makes a woman outside of being an investigator. Well, it would be best, but she, you know, she doesn't have a fiance and a fortune and all this, you know, stuff at stake. Cecily doesn't spend a lot of time doing that. She is very obsessed with her fiance and -hmm. and their problems. But Cecily is Nancy, but she actually cares about her boyfriend. (laughs) Like, it's like, what if Nancy took Ned seriously? She felt very Nilla wafer. There didn't seem like there was a lot there. I saw a lot there, but maybe we can break it down as we go through. I do want to talk about each of the four women. Just the important ones. Yeah. All we need to know about Mrs. Driscoll is she's tricky and not motherly. Well, Susan is the ultimate mother, right? She's really gonna save her children. Susan is the Christ figure of Clue of the Broken Locket. And if you want to argue about it, I won't, so... But I would like to talk about the stark differences between George and Bess. Let me put it this way. Was this prose Bess at Thanksgiving? Because it was (laughs) ham-fisted. Bess is back. She's a very pretty blonde. And this time she's inclined to be overweight. Right. It's a choice. That's just her inclination. She doesn't have to. No, not some days. Whenever Bess does her thing food-wise, while it's noted that she's the one heading the charge, everyone's joining her. On this Maryland trip, everybody's going to gain at least 10 pounds. They all laugh when Bess ordered five ham sandwiches and a box of Cheez-Its. But Nancy said, we'll probably eat them later. And they did. Bess is hungry. Bess loves food. But I also feel like there's an element in this novel where Bess loves food, but she's also motherly about it. She's I was gonna reminding... say that. Yeah. It's very maternal. Oh, ha ha. Mm. Bess got us all snacks, but they want the snacks. Bess stayed home a lot more. She was ready to draw a bath when someone needed it. Bess definitely played a maternal role in all this. She made the beds. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Bess is the most social slash compassionate character in many ways. She fills that woman's role of confidant and caretaker. For all of our listeners who are Team Bess, we we have to say that this woman is not only filling this motherly role, but she's doing so with the confidence and grace to not have to say anything about it. So we got George over here, and, uh, you know, we got some George stands out there too. We got Team George, we got Team Bess. And George is rough and tumble, quick to be the fighter, to be the muscle, but she's also the only one who says, "Uh, and if you need muscle... You've got me. (laughs) Bess doesn't say anything. She just stands in the background and goes, they'll need food. They'll need me. Bess asks, 
how do you feel? How does that make you feel? And how can I make you feel better? George and Bess form sort of the protection cocoon of Nancy. George, of course, is like, I will protect you. I will go to battle for you. Mm-hmm. I will guard you in a literal way. And Bess is like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to remind you that you need to eat. I'm going to remind you that you need to sleep. I'm going to remind you that that might be dangerous. And I'm going to tell you you're important at the end of the day. So, of course, Nancy, in the very beginning, quotes Bess as having often remarked that Nancy was like honey with the mystery bees swarming around her all the time. It's a very sweet sentiment. If your friend said that about you... I don't do a lot of mysteries. Carson and Nancy may be sitting there making fun of Bess and saying, oh, George is, you know, the, the smart one. But Nancy doesn't quote George. Nancy quotes Bess. There's an affection there between Bess and Nancy that you don't always see George being soft enough to sort of embrace. Bess is social, Bess is hungry, and Bess is also scared. That's right. Truly the shaggy of the situation. (laughs) Nancy sums it up as, Bess always worries about running into danger, but she's one of the world's best sports when necessity arises. But just like whenever she suggests food, it's actually a good idea for everybody. Whenever Bess suggests something might be dangerous, it's actually very dangerous. That's true. One has to admit that if you're with Nancy Drew, I feel like you could point to anything in the vicinity and be like, that's probably going to be dangerous. And we'll get to it, but that's an interesting conversation that Bess and Nancy directly have. My point is like, is she really a worrywart or is she going into some weird circumstances with these girls who, these 18 year olds, these Mm -hmm. children Mm -hmm. who are running into swamps and taking down bands of criminals. And I think I've talked to you before about how all of these ladies are at this point traumatized from their past adventures. So Bess may take this soft approach and be scared. George chooses to cope with that fear the opposite way and act very tough. Mm -hmm. I really question how sensible George really is. Because George really seems to want to charge into a lot of danger and really makes more mistakes than Bess does. Yeah, George is a danger junkie, even more than Nancy. But according to Carson and Nancy, George is very level-headed and sensible. Sensible to me is, I'll make the bed. In the end, Nancy chases danger, but George chases affirmation. She doesn't go into this danger because she's the detective. She wants to get Nancy's approval. Or have a fun time. Or a little bit of both, I think, right? She is practical in the sense that she will think about what tools you might need, while Bess may be thinking about what comfort you might need. George is remembering to carry in the suitcases. George is much more likely to do what Nancy requests of her, whereas Bess might not want to. And what would be sensible in the eyes of Carson and Nancy more than someone who will do what they like and bend to their will? What's sensible is what they want done. I would imagine Carson gets a distilled version of George and Bess through Nancy's eyes. Mm-hmm. It would be practical for her to be like, oh, my one friend is a scaredy cat. We're not really doing anything dangerous. As a father who is always himself worried about Nancy, allegedly, you would want more of a Bess with your daughter. That's the whole point. He's not sending her with Bess and George so they can just egg her on to do more dangerous things. I think he doesn't really understand what's going on. George is eager, energetic, strong. She doesn't have to drag 
her suitcase to the car. She's swinging it in a carefree way. And she's very impatient and masculine. And especially a little bit impatient with her very, very feminine cousin. So lucky for everyone, Bess and George are able to join Nancy on this case as they have no special dates coming up. Yeah, it's stuff like that that makes me think that Carson, rather than being worried for his daughter's safety, or even thinking about how these girls are going to affect his daughter, Carson knows the movements he needs to go through to meet basic responsibility. What you're describing is a father in America. Sorry. My my take is that Carson is a father in America. (laughs) I think you might be right, or at least we're meant to think he is. Her father? A father in America. The ideal father in America. Gotcha. So right off the bat, they're they're driving to Maryland. Who knows how long that drive is? Depends if they started north or south of River Side Heights. <laughs> or if they took the Muskogee up or just the interstate. It depends. <laughs> or like their teleporting machine. Well, yes, if they used the Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> a totally different matter. The River Heights only has one Stargate, but obviously Nancy gets to use it whenever she wants. Sources usually place Nancy Drew as happening in the Middle West. Mm-hmm. However, this is the second time in a day's drive they've gone to a resort coastal town. Yeah, they drive fast. Nancy's got a roadster. Well, it's not even necessary because they go to a lake, not the ocean. But it has to be in Maryland, I guess. Because it has a swamp. Anyways, they're driving out there and Bess says, hey, why don't we have an early supper? We don't know what we're going into. And everybody says, yeah, actually that sounds really good, Bess. They don't even laugh at her. Mm -hmm. That's how good of friends they are. Then, you know, today, if you need to wait a long time for your meal, you get like a little beeper thing Mm -hmm. and you just stand around awkwardly and wait for it to flash. Or maybe you go next door and shop. They get to just go for a walk in the garden. And they come upon a bridge that Bess points out is quaint, but it looks rickety. Yeah, it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. And George says to Bess, oh, come on. But boy, was George wrong and not sensible in this case. Yeah. Because, well, later on, that bridge falls through. Yeah, how many times Nancy's going to use a bridge that is one more thing away from falling apart? I don't know. (laughs) This isn't the first time she said, I should get off this bridge. It won't hold the weight of both me and anything else. Maybe I'm privileged. Or maybe I just am not considering the fact that America currently has a D rating on its infrastructure. But if I go on a bridge, I expect it to be able to hold dozens more of me. Minimum. It's it's fascinating that they went uh, over a bridge that went down an embankment so far and so muddy. And the whole thing, it didn't even break. It it, it tipped like it was installed as a trapdoor or something. Well, and that's the thing is I thought that River Heights honestly just had a pretty bad set of engineers. Right. And maybe weren't great at building bridges. Yeah. But it sounds like Maryland has the same problem. They got me with this one, though. They went over it once twice no problem no yeah one fell. but they were three people and they never considered freaking Bess losing her earring into the water by the bridge they were dangling nancy by her feet at the time yeah george dangled nancy off the bridge Bess kept a lookout cecily that silly girl just ran onto the bridge even though they warned her poor planning on everyone's part really but they got the earring yeah and nancy saved cecily and there were no damages to pay for cecily apologized but honestly 
why were the three of them on the bridge to begin with? It's very weird. The manager, of course, as George points out, the practical one points out, is the real one to blame. It's true. And sure enough, when they call him out on it, he's like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to fix that bridge. You know how it is in the mm-hmm. restaurant business. Bridge is going fixed. Mm-hmm. And he offers to pay damages, but there are none. Nancy stumbles upon another part to the case. Mm-hmm. A girl named Cecily, who she's supposed to meet later. She meets a little early in the woods. Before they even fell off the bridge, they just walk past two people yelling about their relationship. And Nancy's like, seems like a mystery to me. Uh, these three snooping girls listen in on this couple's fight. Mm-hmm. And they find out that the guy wants the girl to be marrying him right now mm-hmm. and the girl's like we gotta wait for this settlement case and he's like nope it's all about the iron bird for you and i've got to tell you if i listened in on a fight that juicy with that many weird things that i had no idea what they meant that would be pretty fun like if, if you're that vague in your conversation i'd be like they're doing this for me i'm clearly being catered to here i thought that what you meant by doing it for you was like that this was destiny which is what i would have thought <laughs> i would not have had your same skepticism because like i don't think it was performative for these girls they didn't even know these girls were listening but i do think you talk differently in a restaurant's garden while you're waiting for dinner than you might at home at least i do so now you know if i start talking about iron birds it's not about the iron birds it's about the restaurant (laughs) yes about that bridge george's reaction to this is sounds like trouble Mm -hmm. nancy is excited she's like a pair of mysteries (laughs) and Bess is the only one who's like i just hope they fix everything up like i hope they're okay what do you think Nancy meant by a pair of mysteries? Because she already has one mystery. And she's like, oh, here's another one, I believe. Or oh. maybe she just means the settlement and the iron bird. That wasn't clear to me. See, to me, it seemed like she meant the two people. Oh, that's cool. To I like me, that it seems like Nancy Drew uh-huh. saw two human beings mm-hmm. and said to herself, ah, two mysteries. <laughs> I love it. Two things that I can engage with, not for their human experience but for the game that they provide to me. Yeah, Bess's response is the only, like, human-based response. And then even then, George's response to that was like, oh, they better clear that up before they get married. Right. Those sounds like weird mysteries to have over their head. And that's why I think Nancy must have been referring to the mysteries, because George repeats that sentiment. I love your interpretation that the people are mysteries. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They, They finally eat. This is the one time Bess could not resist pecan pie, and nobody else had pecan pie that's true so that explains why she's overweight compared to everybody else is that one piece of pecan pie well she was inclined to have it yeah so what we see with cecily is someone who is apologetic and thankful and in that way she's a lot like Bess polite caring but you also see a little bit like nancy who can be kind of guarded herself and not tell everybody what's going on but she's a little bit like george too because she just like charged onto the bridge Mm -hmm. right without thinking was very impetuous and i think you pointed out that this is one of the funniest things for a stranger come to come up to you and yell (sighs) i've made such a mess of my life yells cecily and then runs off into the night i would like to make an amendment to that and i hate to be a Mm-hmm. Uh, a, I hate to be someone who goes around correcting people, but... You love that. I don't. But... <laughs> 
She says, I've made such a mess of my life. Well, goodbye. She doesn't just leave. Because, mm-hmm. like, if you said, I've made such a mess of my life and left, I'd be like, oh, they plumb forgot I was here. No. She says to them, I've made such a mess of my life. Well, goodbye. It's the well goodbye that gets you. Yeah, it is. Best George and Nancy stop at an inn they might stay at. Finally, they hear the story of Henry Winch. They hear that there was a tragedy once. Mm-hmm. A whole ferry went down into the swamp and all the people were killed. And what Henry Winch saw was the ghost ship full of people. And we looked that he is above reproach like he would never lie no i'm very intrigued with the entire ghost picnic situation how do you get a ghost ship like how does that happen does the ship have unfinished business do the ghosts all just have to want it bad enough Carl, we're really getting into uh, ghost theory here. And right. there's a lot right. of Sorry. a lot of ways we could go with this. I'll put that up by the architecture. I'll save it for later. But we do know that Bess is now frightened. She does not want to go to this cottage, not for a million dollars. Yeah, but she doesn't need the money. But she will go for her friends, Carl. Yeah, that's true. She needs the social clout. And George says, never fear. We brave ones will protect you. George, ever the warrior. Little little dig. Mm -hmm. Nancy diverts Bess's attention. Bess is a puppy dog. He's have to be like, it's okay. Because look, 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 look over here, over here. I noticed that Nancy smiled or chuckled a lot in this book. And Very that coy. really changed the meaning of what she was saying and my view of her character in overall. She was much slyer in this book. And honestly, when you chuckle sometimes, it comes off so condescending. Bess is like, that sounds absolutely spooky. And Nancy just smiles and says, we appreciate your warning. Like, that would mean a lot different if she didn't smile. Yeah. It's, it's like if she just like showed some concern and thanked the woman for her warning that's a a nice way of saying you should probably know your place (laughs) best suggest since they had an early supper they should stop and go grocery shopping Mm -hmm. they're like yeah go ahead and grocery shop for us so she goes in and grocery shops Mm -hmm. alone and they wanted to tease her but they didn't because she might be right i i I have to applaud their self-control i know Whenever my friend wants to grocery shop for me, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm always like, I'm going to I'm going to have some self-control since they won't. <laughs> to the cottage and Bass straight away is like it's eerie here and George is very stern. Don't be imagining things. And Bess, I loved this. Bess defends herself and is like, "Listen. Even Henry Winch, who is no scaredy cat, was scared of this place." So back off, George. He said so in a note. <laughs> and Nancy's just like, once again, she laughs. And that changes this meaning. Oh, we're probably fine inside the cottage. There's no ghosts here. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> It's That's like, what you say when there are no ghosts. Yeah. Bess is like, why would you even want to go to this cottage except for in the summer? George is like, uh, everybody loves fall, Bess. See, the trees change, Bess. Yeah. It's New England. But you know, Nancy has to go explore. Mm-hmm. So she says, like, let's sleep here. Why not? Let's just sleep here. Which Bess doesn't like, but agrees. Mm-hmm. And makes the beds for them. Yeah. For everyone. Yeah, nothing was ready for them. And warns Nancy, be careful. Going out in the middle of the night, doing some sleuthing. Mm-hmm. So it's like... Even if you don't believe there was a real ghost ship, maybe especially if you don't believe there was a real ghost ship, that's a dangerous situation. Any situation in which someone wants to convince me a place is haunted is exponentially more dangerous than a place being haunted. <laughs> yes. 
Because right, <laughs> I would agree with that. Essentially. I feel like I've heard more news stories about people being killed by murderers mm-hmm. than ghosts. If I saw a ghost ship, my first thought would not be, "Oh no, those ghosts are going to hurt me." You would think, <laughs> "This is for me." Yeah. See, there's the cynicism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, you know, I had to be really trained from a young age to think like that, Carl. (laughs) Nancy, of course, really hopes that that phantom boat is going to appear for her. Nancy just, like, wants so badly to interact with whatever's scary. Yeah. Like, if if you said to Nancy, like, well, people have been going missing in the woods, she'd be like, oh, well, if I go into the woods and go missing, then I'll know what happened. Mystery (laughs) solved. Just infinitely curious. (laughs) This child died, and when he came back, he said he saw the face of God, but some people don't believe well i'll just die then we'll have this whole afterlife thing solved (laughs) oh man but yeah she wants uh she wants to touch a ghost who doesn't yeah this is after they saw other cecily they saw a woman who looked very much like cecily as far as we know was cecily and she ran off into the night saying i want my babies you can't take them you can't take those babies from me ominous could mean anything would mean anything. So this is where Cecily joins the story. Cecily shows up with her black cat and her bright red hair. Cecily's here. Yep. Just acting like a chill person who has a black cat. She, and she doesn't remember that at all. Does not remember that. But at first she doesn't recognize Nancy and George because it's dark, which makes that whole thing even more confusing. What do you fall off a bridge with someone every day, Cecily? You know, <laughs> I thought that was a moment for us. Cecily still doesn't trust them. Like, they're the ones who have been sent to take care of her or meet her to help deal with this case. They're also the ones who rescued her on the bridge and had a kind interaction with her. She says to them, I'm lonesome. Please stay for the night. Mm-hmm. invites these people into her house so she trusts them that much but she will not tell them what's going on for like a few more chapters i just find it especially funny because later on the bad guys are there and cecily's like oh let me tell you what's been up <laughs> let me tell you about my family mystery bad guy i just met so fast of course is warm and welcoming to cecily i'm so glad you got here we were terribly worried and she also fulfills the question aspect of detective work She's the one who's going to interrogate. She's the one who's going to push for more information. So she says to Cecily, why'd you run earlier? Now, George and Nancy, George may be bold, but she's not bold socially. And Nancy is so concerned with looking proper or not accusing people or things like this, Mm. that she's not necessarily going to directly ask a question, even though she may have a lot of secret hunches about you behind your back. But Bess is just like, hey, that's weird. What happened there? In the past, Nancy's been pretty quick to question people and they just tell her things. Yeah, but not in this one. Uh-uh. It's very strange. Because Bess now has that role. Yep. Cecily must have a double. We all have one. Twins everywhere. I don't know about you, but I don't have any cousins that I look like I'm twins with. But mm. Cecily clearly has just a very forgettable face. <laughs> Not much to notice but the red hair. And presumably so does her cousin. Yeah, just two kind of bland looking people. Their whole family's from Massachusetts. The cousin it, right? Like they should always have their hair over their face. Oh, there's better. Uh, the secretary in Powerpuff Girls. Always the red hair over the face. Mm-hmm. That's what she looks like. Even best though, has the discretion not to ask cecily about nico yeah but the book makes note that if if cecily wanted to tell them they would be interested listeners gossips now they all have to go do some detective work and they're snooping about Mm -hmm. and they go near this big stone house and out comes this guy 
silhouetted against the door. Not any stone house, but... A humming snow stone house. A humming stone house. A humming stone laugh. <laughs> That's in the bloopers. <laughs> a humming stone house. Do we know yet this is the pudding house? No, we don't know anything that okay. this house is of any interest. Skip that, listener. <laughs> George's reaction is to giggle and say, oh, I, I think he thinks we're burglars. Tee hee hee. Cecily, in a, I think, very Nancy-like move, is just staring at the house thinking about something. Like, clearly interested. Nancy is frowning and watching Cecily. Nancy always knows when someone else knows something Nancy doesn't know. <laughs> yes. And Bess is like, hey, maybe we should go, guys. This isn't a great situation. But Cecily's like, I wonder, and then trails off. Mm. And they all feel that while friendly, Cecily is very secretive. Now you tell me that Nancy isn't very secretive. At least Cecily's friendly. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, Nancy's secretive. But there is something about Nancy Drew that makes it okay. She is a walking exemption. If she has a secret, it's for a good reason. If she has a hunch or a suspicion, it is for a good reason. We've seen in the past Nancy's perfectionist tendencies, and you don't see it as much in this book, mm. but this is the one example where she chides herself and is like, oh man, like it's none of my business. She can keep her secrets. There are definitely moments of self-awareness in Nancy in this book where it's like, huh, okay. One other point, she's like, wow, I sure seem to make a deep, dark mystery out of everything. Yeah, she laughs at herself a little bit. It was actually an interesting moment of self-awareness and character deepening to even sit along with the inner monologue of Nancy to hear her say, it could be this or this or pirates or mm. anything. To see so much uncertainty. Yeah. Not just uncertainty, but like... Brainstorming? Yeah, in yeah. a very human way. Or even daydreaming. Because obviously Nancy daydreams in mysteries. But if you ever wonder, how does Nancy always seem to know what the mystery is? Finally, we get this glimpse into her head. It's because she's thought of a lot of things it could be. Yeah. Where I could go, okay, she's considering things. Yeah, that's detective work. Not being the chosen one. <laughs> yeah. Not that she's not the chosen one. She is. So they all go to sleep. And I'm sure we've all had this experience. They wake up to a woman screaming, <laughs> run out of the household in a panic. Jesus, Hope, how often do you wake up to a woman screaming? Every time I'm in a cottage. Uh, yeah. That's not even true. This isn't about me, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> It turns out to be a loon. We looked this up. I did not believe that loons sounded like women screaming. Which Carl has experience with loons. I have family in Minnesota. I've uh, stayed near the lakes. Uh, and I hear I hear the loons out there. And they're f fun to listen to. I was trying to do them the other day. Do I, should I try this? Yeah. It was a... Uh... <laughs> yeah, that was me doing that just now. <laughs> That was me. But this is what we heard that sounds like. This is the like, one that sounds like a scream. Yeah. <laughs> Miss, are you okay? Right at the end, it sounds like a woman being strangled. <laughs> God. George is frustrated. She says in disgust, well, for Pete's sake. I've oh, been awoken for a lot of things. But never a crazy old bird. A crazy old bird. <laughs> Apparently, uh, George just goes to bed. Like, and if you wake her up, she's 90 years old. She's like in the big sleeping shirt and the sleeping hat is like, oh, darned old bird woke me up. Another cute thing that Bess does throughout this is talks to the cat, Satin. Yeah, she does, huh? Another like motherly type instinct. But also 
when I first read the name Satan, I definitely thought it was Satan. Like, I yeah, definitely no, misread it. I was there it. too, yeah. <laughs> this might be the bad guy. So Nancy wakes up in the night, and Cecily has pulled a very Nancy move mm, and gone and off to investigate. We have seen a history of the girl who's part of the mystery being Nancy Light. And, you know, oh, she'll be off doing this. She'll be off doing this. And then Nancy might discover her probably in over her head. Nancy is the lifeguard <laughs> of, and mysteries of the pool mm-hmm. and clues of the bees that buzz. <laughs> I'm great at metaphors. Maybe it does give Nancy more of a chance to show that caretaker side a little bit more. Well, and also just like wisdom. Mm-hmm. Like something makes Nancy the great girl detective. Well, she's definitely more seasoned. You know, she's had yeah. a lot of cases. <laughs> And at least in this one, we're getting at least enough background to be like, oh, she knows what she's doing. Even, you know, once again, uh, she played stuff close to the chest in this one. Nobody else had the sense to, like, not tell people everything. Whereas it might be okay for Nancy to sneak off into the woods at night to investigate. Cecily should probably let someone know. Nancy was, quote-unquote, tempted to awaken Bess and George, but did not want to waste precious time. Ouch. Listen, you gotta get George... You gotta get George awake into her slippers. Then she's grumpy. A dang mystery woke me up. <laughs> that can't be the first time that Nancy has not woke people up because of the it time crunch. It is not. Remember, Bess and George fell asleep on the job. Right. And Nancy's like, I'll go take care of this bad guy myself. I don't have time to wake you guys up. Yeah. I think we just have to assume that Bess and George are comatose sleepers. They're deeper sleepers, right? Deeper sleepers? Anyways, yeah. I agree with you. Nancy finds Cecily limp and crumpled. Oh my god. Next to a log. She's been knocked out. She can't even revive Cecily in time for that log to come at them. She does a quick roll over with Cecily and saves her again. Yeah. At which point Cecily comes to and realizes she's been saved again. That's scary stuff. Yeah. Did somebody push that log? Which of course we find out later on. Yes. Yeah. It's a Nancy Drew novel. Somebody pushed that log. Pushed that log. attempted murder stuff but also yeah you gotta be careful around logs on hills this is where i start talking about the head trauma in this book because there was so much and the log of the book it's the log of the book how did i not even realize i didn't until just that a villain again i know oh he was so good the log is back and he's attacking nancy now if you get hit in the head hard enough to lose consciousness even for like 15 to 30 seconds that's you're risking brain damage and you are concussed like she has a bump the next day a big old leg it's a goose egg so they get home Bess says you both look horrible go to sleep her advice is to go to bed yes Later, when George falls backward down a hill, hits her head and is yeah. knocked out, yeah. George has the good sense to be like, no, I'm not going to sleep. I need a steak dinner. I'm going to eat a good juicy steak instead. <laughs> I mean, either way, like, Bess immediately, is she an accomplice? Like, I don't know what the medical advice was back then, but oh, Nancy man. also doesn't correct it. The George head injury, there was no furthering of the plot. There was no reason to have that. And so it almost seems very intentionally supposed to contrast with the way Cecily handled her head injury. 
But Cecily was much the same way. Like, ah, oh, this doesn't bother me. I, you know, I don't even remember it, so I think it's okay. Her confusion in the following days is just her not remembering her boyfriend's phone number correctly. Oh, Cecily. <laughs> yeah. So now Cecily has decided, I can trust you guys completely. Yeah. You've saved my life enough times. They lean forward eagerly to hear all about everything. Cecily revealing what she's doing here sounds so much like a scam. It does, right? I'm looking for my family's treasure. I really need need it so i can get married i'm gonna i'm gonna let you guys on a secret <laughs> have you heard of civil war treasure that's not even a normal trope we find out that her family has a weird orphan story and a, a half of a locket and the orphan that came to the orphanage and kept saying something about a pudding lake stone house her great great something was the orphan had a locket yeah. and didn't know who her parents were mm -hmm. and now generations later cecily is also an orphan because apparently it's genetic yeah she has discovered pudding lake house has treasure it does seem like probably that much would be hard to write in a locket but what do you know yeah, yeah it's a long letter for a they locket. had smaller fingers back then yes true cecily has done some nancy drew style detective work and figured out that misty lake used to be called pudding lake because it was a swamp and now it's called misty lake because that didn't sound good yeah for tourists like yeah. for pr reasons yeah. and it's foggy so we'll call it misty that's yeah. good people like mist right yeah. after she finishes telling this she's like well you can leave now if, if this is too big for you and of course Bess is like i'm too intrigued and george is like well i think cecily that you and nancy need a strong athletic person around and i can fill the bill it's insecurity come on george you deserve to be here just because you're you if this is too much you can leave it, hey now it's time for river heights dating segment if someone says to you if this is all too much you can leave you can leave don't feel like you can't leave 10 years later you might have to wow it's not out of my life or anything oh not out of your life huh? i have a friend oh a friend <laughs> I just learned more about Carl. <laughs> that, that he is a friend. They go for a drive, decide to check out that stone house, and wouldn't you know it, it has a sign that says it's the Pudding Lake house. They go to the door, Vince Driscoll opens the door, and he's very mean and tells them in... <laughs> he's muscular, and he tells them in no uncertain terms, go away, you're not welcome here, don't come back. He's pretty clear about his boundaries. Yeah, good, good emotional intelligence on Vince. Yeah, and they think, wow, what a weird guy. He won't just let us check his house out. Do you own this house? No, I'm renting. Can I look at it? No. no. <laughs> Cecily's now like, oh no, how are we going to investigate? And George is like, oh, Nancy will think of a way. I promise you that. Of course, Nancy will think of a way. She will break in. Nancy doesn't give a satin <laughs> what happens, right? Yeah, she'll break in. Of course, it's George who saves the day by doing some researching and finding out most of the land is owned by the city anyways. That was a very lucky find, George. <laughs> she had to keep her promise. So they get to the town, and I thought this was a really telling little moment where they kind of are assigned their roles. Okay. George goes off to get the gas. Yeah. The bottled gas. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> I think it's just gas. Oh, yeah, fair. But it's for the hot water at the house, so I don't know how they install that. I'm woefully unprepared to go stay in this cottage. In my head, it's just two liters. <laughs> Cecily goes to call her boyfriend. 
That's her place. That makes sense. And Nancy and Bess go to get supplies. Well, Bess goes to blurt out a bunch of information. Nancy goes to get supplies. <laughs> Everyone does what they should. <laughs> yes. So Nancy is suspicious of Carl from the start. He come. Do you want to tell this part? Well, yeah. He, like so. <laughs> so they see this guy walks in in the middle of the street, puts his hand up, stops their car like a maniac. He literally says, stop. Stop. In the name of me. Comes over, has them rolled their window down. Hey, sorry about all that stuff that happened earlier. Gosh. <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> yeah, his br- my brother kicked you off our property. No reason for that. We're, you know, we, we're there's nothing to worry about with us. So Come on over and investigate anytime you want. It's a weird move, but it's a kind of a good one. Because I've said how often Nancy only knows she found a mystery. Because some jerk-off calls her up and... And says, stop investigating the train mystery. One definitely wonders if Vince had just let her in the first time, what would have come of that? Carl had the right idea. But then, when they do go over, Carl's like, see, there's nothing to investigate here. Everything's good. And behind him, Vince is going, don't investigate. You better not. Vince, friggin' stop it. Do you not see what I'm trying to do here? Okay, okay. But you better not investigate. There's just so many little ways they could have done better. I love that they bought a fake iron bird. I mean, that, that's a work, that's a genius, you know. That's smart. And if Nancy hadn't done her detective work and gone and already checked out the gift shop. Oh, and yeah. The and mystery, then went to find out later. They might have been tricked. At yeah. least temporarily. I would say straight, like, bring it out to them. I don't know why you brought them into your basement. You kind of figured the mystery has something to do with where the iron bird's at, not the mm. iron bird itself. And he wants to divert the attention. That's and fair. And also, yeah, just be like this is just a normal house we have kids we're just you know joneses yeah couple of normal acrobats and mrs driscoll i have to say plays her part perfectly other than being a little heartless towards the children right she even recovers from that and is just like oh that's just how children are they hate practicing their acrobatics you know how it is go so far as to be like nancy if you want to go under that roof that's fine with me but like it's dangerous it's dangerous that's disclaimer here even when Nancy was locked out, there was a pretty normal story for what it was. These are the points where I want Nancy to show her work, because these are all the moments where Nancy's going, hmm, but it could be that they had someone trapped in there. She was thinking of lots of things, and we're just getting the, the highlights. You get a lot of Nancy being alone, finally, and you see her process for trying to get back into the house, and what does she think about the house. There's one point where Nancy's not alone. In fact, we follow someone for the second time ever who's not Nancy. Oh, yeah. And I got so much vertigo, it, 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 it rattles my world. The bones mm-hmm. of my world are rattled. Yeah, Mrs. Driscoll does well. These children are three years old. Since they were one and a half, these have been their parents. It's weird that they keep acting like they're kidnapped. No, go back in the room with your uncle. They're banging and kicking on the door. Well, uncle Vance is a jerk. It's he, true. They said so. They're like, he's mean, and he probably is. It's not like they're too scared to do these things. They're like, no, we're being abused. We're going to yell about it. They do get slapped really hard at one point. They certainly don't seem to understand how to behave. When they wanted to train them to be acrobats, they did treat them really well. These children, for these for these terrible Driscolls, are like when you get a rabbit for Easter, mm. and then half a year later you hate it because it was a bunny rabbit, and now it's... When they realized it took any 
any work, they started getting mad about it. And that's why the kids aren't attuned to their abuse yet. Some would argue that training a two or three year old child to be an acrobat is of itself, even if you didn't slap them or do any of the other <laughs> stuff, child abuse. And maybe they wanted Olympians because that's when you start or younger. Whatever they were doing, they were doing it well enough to get their picture in the paper. I watched a documentary once where the trainer was showing how you have to start with infants, like keep their joints and muscles from learning, oh, I can only do this. That's nuts. Yeah, so there's different exercises and ways you can keep their like joints and everything flexible <laughs> a little bit. So they get back to the cottage and Bess wants to take a hot bath and all the others are like, nope, we gotta go sleuth. They don't find anything anyways, and they all enjoy a hot bath. Once again, Bess knew. The next day in town, Bess once again fulfills the detective role of questioning. Nancy performed an important role in figuring out what was happening with Nico's finals. Nancy's obviously superior audiophile ears. Yeah. Obviously superior to a degree. On the other hand, she didn't know the crickets right away. Yeah. So. But she does notice that the records are different. Yeah. But Bess is the one who got ice cream from Eddie and started him talking. And Eddie broke that case wide open. True crime counterfeiting vinyl. I want to know how much that actually happened. Did you do any research on that? Yes. I'd be interested in that. We could do some research. We Certainly they make the records at the lake, which you would think that they could just make it in the factory. But I guess that's too obvious. I didn't know that it was a thing to pirate vinyl records. It's one of those things that as soon as you hear it just makes sense. It does, but it, mm -hmm. I think what's funny about it is the only way for it to work is to be creating like huge amounts of pirated vinyl. Because otherwise, what are you doing it for your friends? It's not like Napster. Oh, I'm just getting music from me. This is a whole thing. So it's fascinating. But I also don't fully follow how Nico knew that his sales were doing well by, what do you say, poll numbers? And yet his record company wasn't paying him what the poll numbers said he should have been paid. And no one from the record company was like, yeah, that is odd. Maybe someone's large-scale pirating your, your record. Somebody was investigating it from their company, I thought. I like, don't think that occurred to them. Yeah, what level of investigation should it take? It's like, yeah. oh, this happens, that's what's happening. I couldn't get my head around how famous Nico was or wasn't. Like, mm. is this a national thing? Is he Maryland famous? Cool band name, though. The Flying Dutchman. The very 60s. Chic to it. Yeah. Now they go out and they finally get to see the ghost ship. Oh my god. Yeah. Bess is the first to spot it because Bess is really the most observant in many ways. Sure. And she shrieks. <laughs> and afterwards she says, well, this seals the deal. I believe in ghosts now. You know. George's response. Ghosts nothing. There must be some logical explanation. What we find out these ghosts are is less likely than ghosts. I know, right? Sorry, George. There's not a reasonable explanation, but there is the strangest explanation I've ever heard. Because first, the bad guy just offhandedly says, Oh, yeah, you know I made those ghosts by playing a sound projection. Yeah. So first of all, what is that? Do you mean sound, sir? But then, when the boys go down and, you know, the guy's gotta go and figure out what the gizmos are. Ned comes back and he goes, yeah, it was an ingenious arrangement of wires. Okay, I will accept that wires were used. Sound projector. Once again, is that just a speaker? And a film clip. So the picture was projected through the hole in the door onto the mist. Mm -hmm. No 
what, what? No, that didn't. No, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> At best, you could get a shape, right? Uh huh. Like, it, am I to believe that Nancy and the crew all saw a foggy shape and the sound of pilgrims and were like, "Yeah, ghosts." <laughs> Right? It's 2021 here in the River Heights Gymnasium, and we can't do that. <laughs> We're still using a boxy audiovisual TV when we want to show, you know... I was going to say, Disneyland, with all their resources, can't do that. Right. <laughs> like, you think they wouldn't have a ghost ship? <laughs> like... <laughs> If all it took was wires, a speaker, and an old film, we would all have ghost ships. Yeah, because that's what it reminds me of more than anything else, is just going through the pirate's ride mm-hmm. at Disney World, all the animatronic like. Yeah, pirates. it's an incredible amount of work that must have had to have been done mm-hmm. to maybe scare people away. But here's a, here's a more likely explanation. Yeah. Speaking of ghost theories, there are certain frequencies of sound. Oh, hit me with this. That they've proved. There's a correlation of people basically hallucinating if okay. they're exposed to that frequency of sound for long enough. Okay. So when he said sound projector, right? Perhaps he was projecting that frequency over time, and that's why they didn't see it for the first few days. And it's like by accident. Yeah. Like the guy who invented rubber. Like yeah. he's down there. <laughs> he's down there, like loading an old film into a sound projector. <laughs> And it doesn't work like that, but it happens to be broken in such a way that it's putting out a high frequency that no one can hear. <laughs> He's just trying to put on, like, a movie in the park for the kiddos. Right. For the twins. He's like, this will scare them. And, which also <laughs> explains, like, the level of nonsense from all the bad guys. Because <laughs> they're just, like, they're also kind of hallucinating all the time. Yeah, I could get behind Some that. Some people are more sensitive to, to it than others, and it's nothing, like, big, but there will be more ghost sightings. Well, day. you know, you have those sounds that young people hear more than old people, mm. so the young people are hearing it the most. <laughs> like, you still wouldn't hallucinate the same thing. Right. So, like, <laughs> so like let's imagine what horrifying thing each person saw. <laughs> like... And nobody wants to talk about it, so they're just like, yeah, yeah Bess is just seeing like, yeah. is just seeing like, you know, skin falling off oh, bodies, yeah, and Carl. Nancy's seeing like, you know, phantoms and cloaks, and <laughs> George is just seeing like buff men who who she doesn't really want to be around, but has to pretend she does. Even Cecily is scared and says, I don't blame Henry for not wanting to live here. Yeah, this makes sense now. And Nancy's like, I don't believe the ghost ship will bother us. Let's go to sleep. I'm going to say, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I think it hasn't killed us yet. That was my family's policy about living under a power line. <laughs> it's like in uh, Bed Noms and Broomsticks where he <laughs> has the bomb that hasn't deployed in his front yard. Yeah. It's like, well. <laughs> it allows me for the first time in my life to live like a gentleman. It's a shame he didn't patent this system. I don't think he knew how he did it. (laughs) I don't think he has any idea what he did, but on accident with wires and a film clip. So now Nancy. So we'll allow for that. Goes and thinks she sees a light in this bullseye window but she convinces herself it's just sunlight in one of those rare cases when nancy is very wrong and she's doubting herself because she knows at first oh someone's in there and then she's like oh i'm always creating deep dark mysteries Mm -hmm. and she goes back and she tells her friends "Eh, it was just the sunlight and it's interesting because that's like her female intuition being blocked by logic right well and it was sunlight in the end but purposefully bounced off a mirror right best 
and Sicily, they think someone's in there. They still have enough of that female intuition to say, I don't know, let's not doubt ourselves here. Sometimes she comes off as not just overly confident, but arbitrary. No, absolutely. Like she's just spinning a globe and putting her finger down. Even with who she trusts and doesn't, giving us these moments mm-hmm. of incredulity allows us to say this isn't random. The fact that Nancy friendly bullied her way into searching more of the house is, mm-hmm. is enough for me. Oh, this isn't it. But since we're here, I'm sure you don't mind. Nancy's appalled at the treatment of the children. Best later on, her motherly instinct kicks in and she's like, we are going to go rescue these kids. She almost blows up the case for them just to get the kids out of the situation. Is the record money more important than those kids' safety? You're talking about a three-year-old who for whining was just clobbered. You can't just like steal the children. Well, mm. legally, he does have a right to you. Yes. Best doesn't care about the law either, but she doesn't care about the law in the sense that she cares more about the morally right thing to do, whereas Nancy definitely seems to not care about the law, but then in the end will defer to it. Nancy, the picture of a white liberal. When Nancy comes back after getting locked out on the roof, Bess scolds her, you might have slipped off, and Nancy says, I guess I'm just a tough old sleuth. Nancy, no you are not. Way to deflect her actual concern. George's reply is, well, that's good because wait till you see that our cottage has been torn up by these fierce burglars. You know, burglars do that sometimes. They'll trash a place if they can't find what they want. Which is true. She drops that information with the casualness of someone who's been bumming around with I'm one of the good vandals, but yeah, some vandals are like that. (laughs) love it. Bess reminds them all to eat. They spend a long time cleaning up the house. Cecily and Nancy go out in the canoe. And then Cecily is like, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to go see Nico's show and talk to him. Bring me to the bus. Bess and George won't let Nancy go alone. And Nancy tells them, I love both of you for it. It's a really sweet friendship moment. So they all ride to the bus station. Then they all get surprised by Nico showing up at the cottage. Hours later. Nico is like, oh yeah, I understand she's distressed about our fight that I was also distressed about. Don't tell her I'm coming until tomorrow. I know she hasn't been able to get a hold of me. I know she's wondering if we're still engaged. I love her. Don't tell her that. And and, and one thinks that they could have at least said, The wedding's still on, if you want. Oh, Nico came by and he left this note. He said he'll see you next week. Oh, surprise, he's here early. But Bess immediately regrets. And she's trying to comfort Cecily. And she's like, She uh, almost said it, yeah. She almost gives it away, but she's like, Oh, I'm sure he's fine with you. And Cecily's like, I wish I could believe that. And they just let her sit like that. Boy, said Bess, me for a bath first. <laughs> Okay, Bess. Probably it was time. There's a few lines that were just really clunky on Bess. It's Mm -hmm. obviously just someone updating prose and not caring. But if you take it as a character fact, it's so funny. One place, instead of a period, they had like a lowercase l. Oh, really? Yeah. So like they clearly had some punctuation problems too. Now that Nico's in the picture, we have to bring Ned, Bert, and Dave back into the picture. And this is a telling moment where we find out Ned is a friend of Nancy's for some time. Mm-hmm. Bert dated George and Dave was Bess's favorite escort. And I, I turned to you and I was like, does, does this denote different levels of intimacy or do they just not want to use the same word three times? What do those three things mean? Ned? We know what it means to be a friend to Nancy. Was useful. What you said last episode. The narrator keeps insisting this is Nancy's friend. No matter how hard Nancy is like, no, this is my boyfriend. I am dating this man. <laughs> yes. 
Bess. Dating George, an escort to Bess. Well, and is... Bess's favorite escort, implying that Bess is more like Nancy in terms of having multiple okay. admirers. So Bess, yeah. So Bess has several people she goes out with. All of them she pays for their time. One would assume. Yeah. She is inclined to be overweight. <laughs> it's so horrible. So horrible. George now wants to get the police involved. Nancy says there's no evidence, which of course is true, because when they finally do go to the police, the chief is like there is no evidence. Civil War treasure, pioneer ghosts, and a cheating record company mm-hmm. were just going to be the same thing. And it didn't even take that long of a conversation for us to find out how. Every one of Nancy's mysteries is how many steps to Kevin Bacon. Like it's mm-hmm. less than you think every time. When she's talking through her theories, she mentions that they might be counterfeiters. To which Bess says, mm-hmm. you mean you and I were in the house of people who were trying to cheat Uncle Sam? And Nancy says, you asked me to think out loud, Bess. She chuckled. Yeah. Uh, once again, giving yeah. a little bit of condescension. Bess actually had her feelings hurt by Nancy. Bess, you were in the cave where people were doing this. What do you, you, you've seen this. And she's like, you know, I can take it, but we may need the police. Bess looks silly. But imagine you're sitting there with your friend and you're like, what do you think is going on? And they're like, well, it could be anything. It could be kidnapping. It could be murder. Could be a multiple homicide. It could be a serial killer. Maybe a serial killer who's counterfeiting. You're like, okay, whoa, Nancy. Yeah, yeah, Nancy. You're so excited. And if you think it's murder, I want the police involved. I'm sitting there reading this and having a hard time following it. So I can only imagine poor Bess at the end of a very long day trying to process what Nancy's even saying to her. It's like Nancy, you're clearly manic. But you're saying a lot. Like, Don't get in the way when this woman <laughs> is thinking. <laughs> uh, for that, they find the other half of the locket and determine Susan must truly be related yes. to Cecily. Bess is like, it will be dark soon. If we set back now, we'll get home before dark. Nancy was hardly listening. And she sure wasn't. Yeah. Because they then take off their shoes, wade into the river find this boat, find this locket, talk about this locket, wade back out of the river, and go home. <laughs> At which point, George is like, this, this case is getting complicated. Nancy has decided there's kidnappers. Nancy's like, I was just thinking out loud. And Vess says, I liked it. Tell us more of your thoughts. What a sweet friend thing to say. And then George, like I said, needlessly falls down the hill. Vess more, more nurses her back. And for once, George is like, oh, wow, you're kind of nice to have around. <laughs> I Which see Bess your value really now. Appreciate. Yeah. yeah. She wants to go right back to work. Bess is like, no, I'm going to bring you to the movies. Nancy goes to investigate and Cecily goes to write letters. And ultimately that's the difference. Nancy, if she can't find gold under one stone, turns over another stone. Mm-hmm. Cecily, if she can't find gold under a stone, at the end of the day, she's already worked hard. She's off the clock. She still has a social life. She's got a right to her friends. Dogged persistence. Yes. (laughs) On this particular investigation, she almost gets caught. We're all going to share this picture, too. Yeah, I mean, on our Instagram, we have to share this picture. Because it's at the beginning of the book. So when this happens, you know, three quarters through, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. I was like, that was just a mistake. I thought so, it was like a misprint of the original bridge scene. Right, because they were on a bridge that Nancy like had hung off of. Yeah. And it has to be a bridge. It's connected to two things. Mm-hmm. It appears to be. It's, it's very high off the ground. It's high enough off the water that Nancy is hanging full extension and not touching water as two men stand above her there's actually not an explanation where it works nancy sees someone in the woods 
trying to be quiet, but she steps right on a stick. So he starts chasing her. She's running. Where's she going to hide? I know, says Nancy. I'll climb under the dock and hang there. And worst case scenario, I'll drop into the water. And hold my breath. I have to say, I've seen some higher up docks, but not that high up. It's not like it's a dock off of some cliff or something. Yeah. As they're looking around. Hmm. Maybe she's under this dock. Let's look. They hear their boss calling, so they leave. Nancy decides to go try to chase them in a canoe, but somebody has sabotaged the a hole the in the canoe. canoe. Yeah. Good thing Nancy's a good swimmer, as we've seen before. She does end up having to leave the canoe to sink to the bottom of the lake. Apparently pretty worried about it, but Bess is like, what are you talking about? Who cares about the canoe? You could have been drowned. I honestly don't think your father or Mrs. Gruen would want you to take such chances. She's obviously the only one with Nancy's best yeah, interest Nancy's dad in mind. Nancy's doesn't care. Uh, and Nancy tells her, danger is a part of this job. Because Bess is like, I'm here to keep you safe. This isn't safe. And Nancy says, well, how do you expect me to do my job if I have to be safe? And this is a conversation between a mother and her daughter, first of all. Yeah, what job, Nancy? And Bess is pretty much like, okay, yeah. She reluctantly <sighs> agrees, but I'm going to keep an eye on you from now on. Nancy looks at her affectionately. In this book, Nancy has more of an appreciation for the people looking out for her. Bess suggests they have a midnight snack. Now, when I was a kid, we might have milk and cookies, or we might have some cinnamon toast at midnight. Mm -hmm. What is Bess's proposed midnight snack, Carl? Hot tomato soup and burgers. And everyone else goes, oh, yeah. Fan theory. Does Nancy and George just have eating disorders? And Bess is like the friend who's there to be like... I still maintain George has an eating disorder, and mm -hmm. that's part of why she has such a hard time with Bess eating. Yeah, Nancy doesn't have an eating disorder so much as a mystery disorder. I've told you I think she's ADHD. I think she just forgets to eat. Nance? Yeah. Yeah. So Bess serves a very important function reminding her to eat. This is the point. They get they get the soup made and they get the burgers on the grill. The bad guys show up at the house, throw a rock at Nico and Cecily. Oh my god, Trying okay. to work out their relationship problems at the time in front of a roaring fire. So as we continue the theme of head trauma, the rock doesn't hit them. It hits the bench. Yeah. Which then is hit so hard by this rock that it's thrown forward and they both hit their head on the hearth, mm -hmm. knocking them unconscious. What Rube Goldberg nonsense is this? Mm -hmm. And that was just to scare them. But they eat the tomato soup even though the hamburgers are burned. Yeah, they don't want those burgers no more. Ned is now worried about the complicated, dangerous mystery Nancy is doing. First, they go all go to church together. Yeah, and you, gotta, you gotta squeeze that in. And then Ned goes undercover for Nancy. He goes to the factory and he figures out, ooh, there's definitely something suspicious going on there. That guy's the same driver who chased We didn't even mention kidnapping. Oh, off the road. And tried to kidnap Nico and Nancy. They all go to the pop concert of That's Nico's. Right. We're meant to be sorry for Nico because he's too famous. Nico and Nancy run out. Somehow that's how it ends up. There's two getaway cars. Yeah. Okay, Nancy. You probably should have let Cecily go with Nico. I think Nico's a scamp. Grabbed Nancy's arm. He did. He Maybe he's just keeping his options open. So, aren't they all? I, men. No, all these characters. Oh, that's Multiple fair. Multiple escorts. That's fair. Nancy figures out they're being kidnapped because the guy just doesn't take any turns. Right, because he won't do what she says. He's like, Nico, next stoplight, we jump out and we meet back at the hotel. It works. Cecily's like, where'd you go with my man? Ha 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 ha, tee hee, but really? <laughs> 
and they're like, oh, just wait till you hear. We were almost kidnapped. Yeah. So that's why Ned d- then recognizes the driver that kidnapped yeah, yeah, Nancy yeah. and Nico. How far do they have to take you away from your planned destination to make it full kidnapping? Right. I mean, they were kidnapped. At first you might be like, oh, maybe they got the wrong address. Right. Or maybe they are lost. But if you go, hey, wh- where are you going? And they're like, oh, no, this is the way. That's when you know you're being kidnapped. Right. So she was kidnapped. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> so Ned, undercover, hears all the criminals are packing up. Getting in a truck and Vamusin with the children and the lady and everything. So now the clock is ticking. But luckily, thanks to George, they now know they can go search the land for the Iron Bird. Right. They find the Iron Bird, which as we... The man at the shop showed them historical examples. Yeah. There were cranes. Owls. No, they find an iron flamingo. Flamingo. (sighs) Truly ahead of their time with their Civil War yard flamingo. Yes. (laughs) Like... All right. Just think about our great, great, great granddaughter finding this flamingo. Nancy figures out... They'll know we were kitsch back when. The note must be in the foot of the flamingo. Carry it back to the cottage. (laughs) And break open the weld to get to the note. Bess misses the boys as they're carrying this very heavy iron flamingo back to a cottage. The boys manage to get the foot open. After this flamingo has been buried in the garden for five generations, out pops a perfectly legible note. Tells them more clues about where their family treasure might be hidden. I'm so surprised they were able to find the treasure because the clues were like, one treasure is in the cabinet. The other treasure is in... Like, it's not, like, hidden. No. But then it turns out it was. And that's why they figure out it must be a second house under the ground, obviously. She she says to herself, old houses often had secret passages to be used as hiding places in times of trouble. What kind of innuendo bull is that? What, <laughs> in times of trouble? Like, mm. either say it was the Underground Railroad... Mm-hmm. Or like, what do you mean, times of trouble? Yeah. When the Huns came through? What are you talking about, Nancy? It's just a very weird thing not to be specific about. So Nancy, who thinks now that these people are dangerous counterfeiters who have kidnapped people, decides that she would like to go back to the house and try to search it again and yeah. ask them for that. They let her in and she's like, hmm, do you know that girl out there? This was flipping clever. They use Cecily as bait so that then the bad guys think it's susan they say who's that mound of red hair (laughs) must be susan yeah so they run out and cecily runs back to the cottage and locks the door mrs driscoll's like well you 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 guys have to go (laughs) but then mrs driscoll leaves the house with the two kids in tow carl figures out no susan's still upstairs false alarm they figure out they've been duped Bess is worrying about cecily and george is like eh she's fine ned throws a stone up through the window Did they get thrown back? Yeah. That's what I thought. So they knew someone was in there. Nancy again thought of her secret hunch. But they go go to the cops then. Yes. And the cops are like, your evidence is pretty flimsy. And Nancy reddens, but her blue eyes hold a disapproving look. Let me tell you, you do not want that look. Nancy's like, well, can you just go check anyways? You're an impatient young lady, is what this <laughs> cop says to her. Marilyn does no respect for our Nancy. He goes and he's tricked by the Driscolls. Well, they're the first, like, polite criminal. And that makes them the creepiest. They can come off decent. It's not a bad plan to just be friendly. Because yeah. even the cops are like, leave those poor Driscolls alone. They just want to abuse their children in peace. And Nancy is embarrassed and crushed. And Nancy's friends felt so sorry for her how often do you think nancy's friends ever felt sorry for her only when uh she doesn't get what she wants ned's 
car falls off the road. Well, he tries to chase one of the trucks that they're taking everything out in because they're moving away. Oh, okay. And the truck, like, does a wide turn and then tries to run him down. One of those situations where he tries to back out of the way soon enough. Yeah, but but he goes into a ditch. But don't you worry. Dave, Bert, and Ned all know to go limp and that'll prevent injury. It's the first thing I learned in this book. Manly man their car back onto the road. Yeah, I couldn't believe they were able to get out of a ditch, get their car back on the road. That well, makes no sense. They each took a corner and lifted. I don't care about this. <laughs> I don't know. They're run off the road. <laughs> Meanwhile, with Nancy, a little while earlier, I have never seen a Nancy Drew book play with time like this. Yeah, yeah. To not only leave us without Nancy, but then to do a f- meanwhile flashback? Mm-hmm. Here's the real scoop. <laughs> it was almost too wild of a ride for me. Nancy and Cecily re- rescued Susan. She went camping with her twin two-year-olds and her husband, Steve. They're asleep in their tent. A driver runs into their tent while they're sleeping, kills Steve, injures her. Between her amnesia and her surgeries and everything, it takes her a long time to be like, where are my kids? So that's her sad story. And she's very surprised to find, for some reason, she thinks Nancy, George, and Bess must be working for the bad guys, for the Driscolls, right? It's strange conclusion. Listen, she's doing her best. She just spent a year in amnesia. Yeah. She's still regularly confused. There's this high-pitched sound playing. (laughs) (laughs) So she tracked them down, tried to rescue her children, and was kidnapped herself. Nancy and Cicely are captured. Nancy is grabbed by presumably Vince. That's right. A muscular man. Cicely is grabbed by presumably Carl, a six-foot-tall man. Kidnappers, for some reason, ended up with these children. That's, I don't think, ever explained. Maybe they were the reckless, crazy drivers? They found them. They were, no, they were, they were camping. So they just found them in the aftermath. Yeah, late. Just later, the hit and run driver left, and later, these two wandering acrobats found them. To the police, they attempt to say, well, we didn't know who they belonged to, so we just, you know, wanted to raise them. But they did take everything they owned and sell it. Except for the trunk, which is what led them to... To the Puddin' House. The Puddin' House. They sold all the stuff, tried to train them, couldn't. Tried to ransom them, couldn't. And then just thought, well, we can hit them. Jeez. So Nancy and Cecily have been grabbed and called snooping busybodies. Carl says to them, you girls will never see daylight Again. again but of course we know that they do and the police officer even apologizes to nancy and it's moments later when all the boys run into the house right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like we've got you now and then there was ned and bert and nico and dave dave oh dave where are they the bad men took the pretty ladies to the cellar kevin sobbed <laughs> all right well kevin's been working on adjectives i guess So yeah, the boys were kind of helpful in this one, but not at all the center. When it started the chapter with the boys, and it was called The Kidnapped Damsels or something, I was so hoping the boys were going to be kidnapped when that truck turned around. (laughs) Oh, it would have been better. Susan and Cecily immediately like each other, and they team up, and they say, Nancy, you have this locket. You earned it. They search for the treasure. They find it. It's gold bars and stock certificates. Someone was like, will these stock certificates still be good? And George is like, who cares? You got bars of gold. You're fine. All I know is that Nancy was already during the celebratory moments looking very wistful. Wait, wait. Oh, there's more to say about how they used the money. And also, they were going to get the money together. And, oh, I've lost her. She's looking wistful. Can't wait to get another mystery. Well, you'll get one when you find 
the message in the hollow oak. It's very mysterious. I'm wondering if he's related to our log. Until then, come at you from the River Heights Gymnasium. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope. Go, Go Wildcats! Wildcats!